0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Welcome to the three martini lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up.
0: Hey, we made it to Friday again. That's a good martini in and of itself. We also have a real good martini and a bad and a crazy today to finish off the work week. And Jim, we've said for a while now that even though it's 50-50 in the Senate, Biden's approval numbers are in the toilet. This looks like the Democrats are in decent position to hang on to the majority and maybe even add seats, which would make winning the House even more critical, given what would happen if the Democrats were able to overcome two of their own members to kill the filibuster and so forth. But the Republicans uh, are not at all giving up on taking back the Senate or winning as many races as they possibly can. They're simply keeping their powder dry for the stretch run as they usually do. The article in Politico calls this a red wave of cash. And so since this is the Senate Leadership Fund uh, aligned with Mitch McConnell, I have to think of it as the red wave of cash is coming. Uh, According to Politico, uh, the Senate Leadership Fund is set to narrow the financial disparities currently holding uh, the GOP back in its bid to retake the Senate. The super PAC has more than $160 million in advertising on the books for the post Labor Day crunch. Just the beginning of a cash blitz that poised to blunt the financial edge that Democrats have enjoyed for 18 months. It's a repeat at the making of 2020 when the GOP PAC notched blockbuster fundraising down the stretch and rained down ads on Senate Democratic candidates that helped avert a complete Republican collapse though the chamber still narrowly flipped. And Democrats expect this year's polls to tighten enough to make every race a nail-biter. Justin Baraski, Democratic Senate Campaign Committee advisor, says these are all going to be dogfights for the final couple of months. Republican money is coming. We always knew it was going to because it always does. Doesn't mean it's easy to deal with, but it's not unexpected. So, Jim, we've seen some more encouraging poll numbers in some of the states that Republicans need to defend, namely Ohio. To some extent, Pennsylvania. Although I still think that's a serious uphill climb, uh, and so finding ways to get to a total of plus one for the GOP is still a challenge right now. But it's good to know they've got tons of resources to try to get it done.
2: Yes, and this is not usually a worry that Republicans have. Um, most of the time, most cycles, if a Republican candidate's going to lose, it's not going to be a lack of funding. But we've had a bunch of highly contested. Uh, primaries in seats. And we've seen the winners of those primaries often uh, low on on funds. And that's what was happening with J.D. Vance in Ohio. And, you know, there's some debate about whether he was doing enough tonight at the party and things like that. And what happened was Tim Ryan had the airwaves to himself for, th- for two and a half, three months. Now, when I wrote that corner post saying, hey, is it time to worry about J.D. Vance? I got a lot of pushback. A lot of folks who are saying, Jim, he, he's just going back up on the ads. I'll wait until you see, you know, wait, wait and see. And we've now seen a couple of polls, I think three in a row that have Vance ahead anywhere from three points to five points, which is not bad. Now, it's worth noting Mike DeWine, the incumbent Republican governor, is winning by like 16 or 17. So you could argue that J.D. Vance is kind of underperforming. But he is looking much better now than he did about a month ago or so. Um, And so I think that's what happened in a bunch of these seats. And some of these candidates where they talk about, oh, I'm I'm MAGA and I'm outsider and I'm not part of the political establishment. Well, by the time you become part of the political establishment, you usually have a pretty good fundraising network. Some of these candidates running for statewide offices don't have particularly good uh, fundraising networks. And thus they've kind of struggled month by month, quarter by quarter. Um, There are a couple other factors working against Republican fundraising right now we've talked on this program a great deal about inflation lo and behold when people are spending more for all kinds of stuff including groceries that leaves them with less money that they can donate to political candidates that they like Um, but the other factor in the room is that actually donald trump's fundraising prowess has not been impeded it's been doing just fine and trump has not been spending a great deal of this on uh helping like-minded candidates i think we all strongly suspect trump wants to run in 2024 and he wants to have as big a campaign war chest as possible, but that's not going to help Republicans between now and election day. So there's, this, these factors are coming together. And one of the great ironies is that these other outside groups are generally a little more establishment aligned, generally more not seen as being on the Trumpy side of the party. And if they come in and rescue Blake Masters and J.D. Vance and Herschel Walker and candidates like that, well, then uh, they will owe their seats to Mitch McConnell and to the Republican establishment. And they may not be quite as combative with that branch of the party as you might have expected. Um, look, it's good that Republicans are getting this. I, I, in the arguments about the Ryan campaign, you can argue, does campaign spending in the summer matter? If J.D. Vance wins this by a comfortable margin, then they'll be like, OK, yeah, you know, in July and August, it didn't really matter that he was effectively conceding the television airwaves to Tim Ryan. But if he doesn't, or if it's real close and a nail biter in a state that you know is pretty red looking and things like that, people may ask, well, "Well, when you do that, Tim Ryan gets to define himself. Tim Ryan gets to define his opposition. Maybe that puts you in a hole. Maybe you do need to spend money in summer. Maybe this conventional wisdom that people don't pay attention until after Labor Day maybe that's kind of outdated. And or you know, you can start the cement starts to dry uh, in early fall, so people's impressions of you start to get." Um, harder to change as you accelerate into September, October, and those first couple of days in November. So either way, it is good news. I do think if the campaign spending playing field is level, then Republicans should do quite well. Um, it's been a good reason to feel a little bit nervous about this in the past month or so. Poll numbers, generic ballots, and special election results and things like that. But overall, Republicans will not get dreadfully outspent in this cycle, and that should probably work in their favor come November.
0: Definitely agree that having enough money to compete and perhaps out-compete the Democrats on the airwaves is a good thing here. Interesting point in the article here, Jim, is that the Democrats are now convinced because they got their mansion bill done, their climate bill, not their anti-inflation bill, uh, they got their uh, gun bill done, although they had some Republican help with that, and uh, they're getting other stuff done now. They're, Biden's getting a student loan thing done. That That's going to actually help them because part of their negative numbers has been Democrats dissatisfied with them not getting enough done. I think that might be true marginally for those who align solidly with the Democrats for independents and conservatives. I think it's going to be just as motivating, if not more so the other way. But what's your take?
2: So it's interesting because if you look at Biden's approval rating, which has inched up a bit, not a lot, but a decent amount, he was in the high 30s and now he's generally in the low 40s. And I think Gallup had him at 44 or something, which is not a great, you know, uh, result, but it's better than it had been for you know quite a quite a while now. You add that up, it's, most of the improvement has been amongst independents, and I you know I think it was Al the Hot Air who kind of theorized this idea that if the headlines are Biden gets bill passed, Biden gets this you know maybe maybe Zawahiri getting killed stuff like that, if the news is Biden is doing things or getting things done, then independents feel better about him if the headline is Biden efforts stymied or Congress can't find the votes for Biden priority or something like that, they see him as weak, they see him as, as, as ineffective and they turn against him. And I think that there's just, it makes sense. Now what we're seeing here, you know, going from like 38, 39 to 42, 43, 44, might be such small movement that you can over interpret it and why it's happening uh, pretty easily. But I, I actually think it's intriguing that the improvement is coming amongst independents, not necessarily amongst Democrats.
0: Interesting. Interesting. I would not have guessed that. All right, one more bit of good news, Andy, and that is the fantastic deals you can find at 4patriots.com slash martini, including their signature offer right now, a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. And, of course, free shipping on all orders over $97. Twenty times faster than normal. So visit fourpatriots.com/martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over ninety-seven dollars. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number fourpatriots.com/martini. That's fourpatriots.com/martini. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, on to our bad martini now, Jim. And this story takes me back to the early 1980s and that cinematic, Oscar-worthy, really, masterpiece, Rocky three. Where, of course, uh, Rocky Balboa was already heavyweight champion in the world. He had just defeated Apollo Creed. Sorry for the spoiler. In Rocky <laughs> 2. Uh, and then all of a sudden a new rival appears on the scene. And his name's Clubber Lang. He's played by Mr. T. Uh, and they fight twice in the movie. I won't give away who wins each of the fights. But prior to one of them, they go to the reporter in the dressing room. And uh, the last question is, do you have any predictions for the fight tonight? He says, predictions? Yeah, predictions. Pain. Well, that's what Jerome Powell over at the Fed is unfortunately predicting. This is the New York Times. Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, warned that the central bank's campaign to wrestle lower the fastest inflation in decades will come at a cost to workers and overall growth. But he emphasized the Fed must stick with its policy of raising interest rates to prevent rapid price increases from becoming a more permanent feature of the American economy. Quote, restoring price stability will take some time and requires using our tools forcefully to bring demand and supply into better balance, he said in a speech on Friday. Quote, while higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. We also know the unfortunate causes of inflation, Jim, and how all that just glut of spending and the, during the early months of the pandemic and so forth and then Biden's 2 trillion dollar bill supposedly for covid uh, another trillion for transportation another 700 billion now for the mansion bill 300 billion coming over 10 years at least maybe 500 for this student debt redistribution uh so that's how we got here and getting out of it is going to really really stink for a lot of people
2: there's a bad habit of what you and i or at least what i would characterize as the left-leaning or bias towards liberals and democrats and mainstream media and it's that good news for the democrats tends to get hyped up as incredible news and bad news for the democrats tends to get downplayed or ex- explained away hand-waved undercovered etc cetera, etc cetera. um we've seen a little bit of good economic news Um uh, but I think you know. I feel like it's gotten much worse in the Biden era. Most notably, that the inflation rate for last month was 8.5 percent, and by almost every measure, particularly historically, that's really, really bad. But the previous month it was 9.1 percent. So one, Biden came out with this crazy. Well, inflation has reached zero. No, no, it's 8.5 percent compared to the year before. Um, It doesn't mean the prices went down, it just means that the rate of increase had slowed down from the previous really, really bad acceleration. I'm struck by the number of Democrats who seem to believe that one figure for one month means the solution, means the problem is solved. And what's more, um, I broke this in the corner the other day, it's really not that hard to find articles that say, well, gas prices are plummeting. Well, now they are down dramatically from the mid-June peaks now we're in the 380 range nationally. Greg, I don't know what you're paying, but I think earlier this week I paid about 3.99. Now was 3.99 better than what I was paying early in the summer? Yes, absolutely. Would I consider 3.99 a gallon good? No, no, I do not, and I don't think most people do. And I went back and I checked, saying, "All right, what were they usually in late summer?" And the answer is, you know, I guess this probably aligns with what your gut is telling you: between two bucks a gallon and three bucks a gallon, usually somewhere in the middle. So no, if I'm used to paying eh, something around 250 maybe as high as 280 or something, and gas is 399 a gallon, no, I don't feel better. No, it's not a really great improvement. Maybe my, uh, my household budget's doing OK. Uh, but lots of people are going, oh, this isn't great news. So the Democrats are kind of walking around saying, well oh, we got this beaten and don't worry. We're through the worst of the storm. Things are getting better. And I don't know if that's necessarily the case at all. Um, because, yes, we're going to, you know, as summer ends and people drive around less, the gasoline price will be you know, reducing uh, because of reduced demand. But we're also getting into the home heating oil season. And that always is another big use of oil that peaks in the winter because people need to uh, heat up their homes. So I don't think you can say, oh, we're, we're past inflation or it's in the rearview mirror. And it just feels like this administration keeps whistling past the graveyard. Um, Powell saying, Hey, we're not out of this. And in fact, this could get worse, you know, this is not surprising to us. I think what's bad is that one, he's got this forecast and it seems pretty accurate. And two, there are a whole lot of people in this country, including people in positions of leadership and power and more than a few voices in the media who want to pretend that inflation has gone away.
0: No, it's just not the case. Uh, it's still at uh, historic levels. It's down a little bit from the highest of uh, recent historic levels, but uh, that's certainly not a reason necessarily to cheer. Yeah, it's not as bad as it was, but that's not exactly the the, the benchmark we should be looking for. And by the way, you mentioned uh, home heating oil. Natural gas is also still through the roof. Um, several times more expensive than it was when biden took office and so um you know the cleanest of the fossil fuels but you know the left hates that too and so you're gonna have to pay a lot more for that
2: hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing
0: crazy martini now. And for this one, we're once again talking about the FBI. And so uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, Joe Rogan had Mark Zuckerberg on his podcast. Zuckerberg, of course, the head of Facebook. And, uh, you know, these are long conversations. But the one that's getting a lot of attention uh, is when Rogan says, you know, how do you guys over at Facebook handle controversial stories? Because remember, we had that whole situation with the New York Post reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop and Twitter wouldn't even let you share that story on its site. So how do you guys go about that? And so while Zuckerberg explained how they didn't go as far as Twitter, I still don't like how they dealt with it. He also talked about uh, an involvement that we hadn't known, at least to this much detail before, the FBI telling social media sites what to do in the 2020 campaign.
1: The background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, some some folks on our team and was like, hey... Um, Just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. So our protocol is different from Twitter's. What Twitter did is they said you can't share this at all. Um, We didn't do that. What what we do is we have. if something is reported to us as potentially um, misinformation, important misinformation, we, we also have this third-party fact-checking program because we don't want to be deciding what's true and false. And for the, I think it was five or seven days when it was basically being, um, being determined whether it was false, um, the distribution on Facebook was decreased, but people were still allowed to share it. So you could still share it. You could still consume it. So, when you um, say the distribution has decreased. In, it, it got shared. It, how does that work? It basically the ranking in newsfeed was a little bit less, so fewer people saw it than would have otherwise. So, it definitely. By what percentage? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's 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 meaningful.
0: It's meaningful. So, Jim, I think the the fascinating point in there for me is when he says the FBI warned us that a, a dump of stuff could be coming. Now, that could mean. Uh, you know they were worried about uh, you know social media posts like uh, the content farms created in 2016. But we also know now that the FBI had possession of the laptop then, and maybe they knew that uh, it's possible this stuff was going to come out. So we also know that these national security professionals, just a few days after the New York Post reported this, were saying without any basis whatsoever that it was Russian disinformation, which would make you know Facebook follow up if they thought the FBI was being straight with them. So. What do you make of this revelation?
2: Very troubling, in part because and you know, from the very beginning, you know, the likes of Zuckerberg and the folks who are creating these social media companies were like, Look, we're not a media company. We don't we're not in the editing business. We're not like the New York Times. We don't decide. We just put out the platform and you use it. And then of course, bit by bit they realized, oh my goodness, some you know, in some cases, I think you could say some people who are genuinely horrible. Uh, gang members, neo-Nazis, uh, drug dealers, folks like that were like, oh, people are using our platform. Well, we have to shut down those accounts. We, we can't do that. And then it got into those areas where it's, you know, not illegal, not necessarily directly involved in a crime. But, it's you know, it's controversial. People don't like hearing it. Uh, and the question of, you know, do we want to take that down or not? And they kind of, you know, stepped into this role of editor. I talk about how. Well, when it comes to disinformation, we have this panel of outside experts. Well, OK, well, who are these outside experts and how objective are they? How even handed are they? How fair are they or are they a bunch of folks who have one side of the aisle that they prefer and who they're going to judge much harsher than the other? We have all kinds of cases where we've pointed out, you know, you know, um, Mitt Romney said that the size of the Navy was smaller than ever been I don't know, it was factcheck.org or political Fact or one of them was like pants on fire even though it actually had been it was it was one of those things like yes technically the number is true but it doesn't take into account uh, the today's you know ships are much more effective blah 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 and it was like no no he said something was true and you contended it was a pants on fire lie this is why there are a whole bunch of people who want to pretend to be objective neutral, Joe Friday, just the facts folks. who are not and who do not belong in those roles and who, you know, Facebook is making a great error by relying on them. But in this case, he's saying it wasn't just coming from them. It was coming from the FBI. I'm going to skip over all of our usual diehard jokes. I'm just going to observe that, first of all, if the FBI comes to you and says this is foreign disinformation and we wish you to help us in not allowing it to spread, that's news. That is that is really like that's, you know, major news because you are seeing that, you know, the FBI wants social media companies without the force of law. But clearly, there's an implied force of law. Right. If you're Facebook, how much do you do you want to tell the FBI to say, go pound sand? I'm not going to do what you want. Come back with a warrant, copper. Or do you want to say, "Ah, okay let's see what we can do. The second is the third thing is kind of just bizarre about. So, first of all, I think Facebook would have been on much better ground if they came out and said, we are taking these steps to not allow this story to spread as much as it otherwise would. And we are doing so on the recommendation of the FBI so that people would get I mean, would people still be mad at at Facebook? Yes. But I think we'd also genuinely be really mad at FBI and put the FBI in the hot seat of why are you telling social media companies what they can and cannot promote? And what should be high in their news feeds and what should be low in their news feeds? And then finally, Greg, my last thought on this is that let's say let's say somebody comes to this and says, yes, this is indisputably foreign disinformation. By the way, the New York Post story on Hunter Biden was not foreign disinformation. The laptop checks out. The Washington Post did the exact same thing, did the forensics, all that stuff. This is actually Hunter Biden's laptop. So here we have a case in which the government was intervening to prevent the truth from coming out. But let's say you had an indisputable case in which, you know, you could trace it all the way back to the St. Petersburg Internet Research Agency bot farm and it's indisputable and it's like uh, Vladimir Putin is the most swell guy ever, you know, and stuff like that. Okay, this is clearly foreign disinformation. Do you really just want to put it a little bit lower in the news feed, Greg? (laughs) Really? That's that uh, we showed them. Ah, you know. What do you want to say at minimum for you to say, ah, oh, this account is a Russian bot and it's being promoted to the, you know, this is the Russian government attempting to mislead you, et cetera. It's like, if you're going to call it out, call it out. Don't just kind of put it, eh, instead of being fifth on the list, it's going to be 10th. <laughs> you know, it just, That doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
0: No, it's, it's utterly insane. And, of course, it would not happen in the opposite direction. There's been plenty of stories that got plenty of traction on social media, uh, making conservatives or Republicans out to be bad, and they turn out to not be true or to be grossly distorted and so forth. So, mm. But the FBI's thumb shouldn't be on the scale here at all. I mean, if uh, the social media sites want to do their own fact-checking, quote-unquote, even though it's going to lean heavily one way, you know, that they they certainly have the right to do that, even though we would probably disagree with their choice of fact-checker. But for the government to be getting uh, directly involved in this is, is very, very troubling because that's not what our system is is set up to do. That's not the point of the FBI. But the FBI constantly ends up uh, looking worse and worse and less trustworthy uh, because they keep doing stuff like this. There was a recent poll out, I think, showing it was a Fox poll showing, I think, Uh, low 60s now trust the FBI, high 50s trusting the DOJ. uh, And I'm actually surprised the numbers were that high. But uh, a generation ago, I would assume on both sides of the aisle, they were a lot higher. And to have those now become very partisan institutions, uh, not good, not good at all.
2: There's two additional kind of thoughts on this. First, the FBI, you cut all the drug dealers, right? All the gangs, all the terrorists, all the serial killers, all the rapists, uh, MS-13, they're shut down. You got them all? Oh, no? Well, maybe you should put more resources into that and a little less resources into policing what the New York Post is publishing and whether Facebook should allow it to be spread. That's thought one. The second thought is, um, as I wrote actually just earlier today, Today, or just earlier this week, the Department of Homeland Security formally just announced they were no longer going to use the Disinformation Governance Board, which you can be forgiven for thinking was in charge of the government's effort to govern disinformation instead <laughs> of stopping government. Yeah. And, you know, this back in May, they pretty clearly pulled the plug on this. There was this Taylor Lorenz story in The Washington Post that basically said, yeah, the, the Biden uh, administration saw a lot of complaints so, from conservatives, so they gave up. And that didn't that never made sense. That did not, you know, if us complaining was enough to get the Biden administration to do something, they'd never do anything. Right. (laughs) So clearly something else was at work here. And so they had this official outside this panel of top level former government officials. Uh, Michael Chertoff, who had been DHS secretary back in the Bush years, is on it. Jamie Gorlick is on it. uh, which, uh, Greg, I'm sure you and a lot of other listeners remember, she's with such phenomenal successes as erecting the wall yes. between the CIA and the FBI back in the 1990s, which worked out fantastically for uh, for Lower Manhattan. Um, she also was uh, an advisor to oh, uh, Fannie Mae, uh, which then promptly lost tons of money uh, and was last seen being the lawyer for Jared Kushner. Uh, but anyway, Jimmy Gorlick is also on this panel. And the whole conclusion is the preliminary recommendation was we don't need a, dis- a, a disinformation governance board. By the way, FEMA has a part of its, off- its, its operations that it looks for disinformation and tries to dispel it when it relates to FEMA policies. U.S. Customs and Border Protection has things that attempt to dispel the claims that, oh, um, you know, they're giving permisos to children at the southern border, send your kids unattended, stuff like that. So a whole bunch of government agencies have parts of them that look for disinformation on the Internet and attempt to dispel it. And they don't shut anybody down. They don't recommend charges. They don't recommend they don't talk to social media. They just dispel it by putting out accurate information. And that's sufficient. And so this outside panel for, for Department of Homeland Security is looking at it and said, you don't need a disinformation governance board. You've already been addressing all of this sufficiently. There was never any need for Nina Jankowicz and all this other stuff. Uh, which makes a lot more sense, the idea that maybe, you know, Nita Jankiewicz got out in front of her skis and announced that she was going to be in charge of this board that maybe not everybody on DHS was on board with yet. Unsurprisingly, once it became clear that she was you know going to become this lightning rod, in part because she had a history of being much more partisan than she was willing to admit, uh, it became clear. I think, you know, it's not the least bit surprising. Mayorkas looked at this and said, there's very little upside and enormous downside for doing this. We're pulling the plug and we'll just keep doing what we're doing, which has been sufficient so far.
0: Yeah, DHS is another part of the administration that should not be involved in partisan politics either. Uh, when it comes to the DOJ and the FBI, I mean, it's it's not easy to keep politics out of a department, even if it uh, is supposed to be independent to a large extent. Uh, so there's always been politics on some level at the Justice Department. But I point the finger squarely at Obama and especially Eric Holder for vastly politicizing the DOJ. And then the FBI, of course, being underneath that umbrella uh, over the past decade. Uh, once you let that cat out of the bag, it's hard to put it back in.
2: Indeed. And by the way, if we want the FBI to be less involved with politics, Greg, it might help if we had politicians who'd stop committing crimes. <laughs> that, that might be a good place to start. Yeah. yeah.
0: That would be great. Or children of presidents, uh, a whole truckload of them, um, conveniently documented, but no charges yet apparently for uh, for Hunter Biden. So, uh, anyway, Jim, uh, definitely time for a break. Have a good weekend, and I'll see you on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Remember Jim's brand-new novel, Gathering Five Storms, the short story, Saving the Devil. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
1: Hey guys, we know it's hard to keep up with all the news these days, but don't worry because we're here to talk and laugh about it all.
0: Brian Stelter is lost after getting canceled from CNN. The Inflation Reduction Act is
1: being pushed by greedy Democrats and Liz Cheney has lost it and thinks she could be a contender in 2024. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right Podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. multiple illegal migrants who were breaking U.S. law,
0: and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on
1: your favorite podcast app.